Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it is hard to believe that um, Advent is right around the corner. Um, it's already been super, super cold, but it still does. It feels early, doesn't it? <laughs> At least to me. Maybe you, you're ready for Christmas. I don't know. Uh, I was in Denver, and there is the, the Christmas blitz is on. Um, it felt like it started before Halloween in places, right? And it seems like it just creeps. But before long, we're going to start celebrating or at least being told to buy stuff for Christmas, like before school begins. It'll be like back to Christmas school. Um, we'll be like a hybrid advertising campaign. And uh, one of the things that um, I find fascinating with the Christmas season and everything else is that um, I'm called upon to preach sermons during that time of year. And the story hasn't changed. And so I freak out because I don't know what to do. Um, and it's a really hard time of year. Uh, for me to preach, honestly, because um, uh, I mean, it's a great story and stuff, but you've heard it before. So um, I have to remind myself that my job is to remind you, um, to remind us uh, about these things. Uh, today, we're wrapping up our series on uh, the difficult sayings of Jesus, the controversial sayings of Jesus, the countercultural sayings of Jesus. Things that, uh, if we're really honest, maybe we would rather he didn't say. Um, things that, you know, kind of bug us about him sometimes. Because had he just not said that thing, maybe we could have done what we wanted to do. Uh, had he not said that thing, uh, perhaps, you know, more folks would like him. Maybe they'd find him more appealing, more acceptable. Today, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in John 14. And John 14 is a passage of Scripture that I quote regularly at funerals. And it's a very appropriate scripture for funerals, but it's not always comforting. It's a passage of scripture that's meant to be comforting. In fact, it starts out with, hey, be comforted. But there's some funerals that it's not terribly comforting at. And why? Why would it not be comforting at some funerals, but really comforting at others? Since I've been in Ray, I've done a lot of funerals. Before that, I was a youth pastor. Thankfully, Lord blessed me in that I never did a funeral for a young person and, and still haven't. And thank God for that, uh, for a teenager. But uh, I came out here and started doing funerals left and right. Lots of funerals. And one thing that they tried to teach me at seminary was how to do a funeral. And what I found was you can't know till you do. Um, and so all those positions for churches that that uh, said, no, we don't want you because you don't have any experience. They were right because I didn't have any experience. <laughs> and then I got to come here and practice on you guys. And then 12 years later, you're like, he's still practicing. Um, when is he going to figure it out? And uh, early on, I, I started doing funerals. And I started doing funerals for people I didn't know. And I didn't know what they knew. And I didn't know if they knew Christ. I didn't know if they had a church connection. And then meeting with the family, it became clear, yeah, they don't really have a church connection, but they want a pastor because that's still what we do in our culture. We have a pastor at a funeral, say some stuff about God and stuff because that's what we do. I found it fascinating. 
that the one thing that's going to happen to all of us for sure was the one thing that folks were the least prepared for. I mean, think about it. You take steps to prepare for all sorts of possible possibilities. You take steps to, to, to save money, to, 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 to be able to buy things, to be able to retire. I, I was really discouraged because I was watching nine news when I was at my parents' house and they had this expert who was telling me how much money I should have saved up by now in my life to be ready on track to retire. Just so you know, I'm going to be your pastor till like I'm 85. Because I'm way behind. I'm like, I'm like way behind. And that's not your fault. Because my three children. Um, I mean, and maybe the expert's wrong. I don't know. But, you know, by the time I'm 55, I got to have eight times the amount of money that I make in a year saved up someplace. I just bummed out a whole lot of you. Because you're 55 and you don't have that kind of money. And, and some of you are 56 and it, you know, I mean, you're freaking out. And we take all these steps to prepare for things that we think might possibly, we hope it will happen. And yet, I constantly run into people who haven't prepared for the one thing that I know for sure, and they know for sure, and you know for sure will happen. Death. Death. How stupid are we? I mean, how, how, what? We are such a death-defying, death-denying culture. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to talk about it. it. It bums us out. It's something that, you know, we want to avoid. We don't want to deal with. We don't want to face. Kind of like taxes, right? It's something that if we could get out of, if there was an escape clause. And by the way, there's a lot of people peddling escape clauses. There's a lot of folks. Take this thing and you will live forever. Well, they don't say that because that's, that is a, that's a statement that the FDA has not approved of this product. You know. But there, there's plenty of things that if they could say that, they would say it, right? Anti-aging cream. Really? It makes me non-aging? No, it just makes you look younger for a little longer. Think about it. Even how things are marketed at us. Anti-aging? Like, yeah, it starts spinning the odometer backwards. No. Just makes your face look a little more puffy for a little longer. Right? Sorry, I mean, I don't know how it works. I'm not a scientist. We don't want to die. That makes sense. I mean, number one, you can't imagine life without you. Right? Some of you are confused right now. Don't worry, I'm confused too. We, we can't imagine life without us. We, we don't want to face the reality that we will all die. Let that sink in for a moment. You will It is guaranteed. 
it will happen. You can't escape it. I mean, it even got George Burns. And he did everything right. He smoked. He partied. He told funny jokes. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe that's not how you're supposed to live. It got him even. I've known health nuts who have passed away. I've known people who did everything wrong, who are still alive today. But it's going to get them too. And death is so frustrating because it is the one thing that we don't have an option with. Right? We like options. We like choices. And maybe that's why we want to deny that death is going to happen because we don't have a say in it. We don't have a say in how and when and where it's going to happen. I mean, we think we do, right? We think we do. But even the healthiest among us, it's going to get them too. It's, it's like it doesn't discriminate. It's like it's just relentless and doesn't care about you. It's going to get you. Now, the only people that are zoning out right now are children. And the reason they're zoning out is because their frontal lobe hasn't developed. They're, in, they are, they're bulletproof. They are. But that's because they don't know. That's because they're naive. That's because they're little children. But if you've lived in this world long enough, you know. Because you've seen it snatch people. You've seen it snatch people who you thought it would never snatch. It snatched people at times that were young. It snatched people that were old. It snatched people out of your life, loved ones, friends, and you didn't see it coming. And it comes. And it's coming. And you would think we would prepare for this. I mean, you would think that knowing it's going to happen, we would actually take that into consideration, right? Do you know what the most dangerous activity you'll probably do today? Eat lunch. I mean, one of the things that we are horrible about is assessing risk in our lives. I mean, everybody's been freaking out about Ebola, and it's led to Fearbola, Right? We all have fearbola, you know, it's like, oh, it's going to get us. And, and everybody freaks out about the latest, biggest, most terrible. But the one thing doctors tell us that will get us is heart disease. How do you get that? Eating cheeseburgers. <laughs> Eating barbecue. Eating is killing you. How frustrating is that? You mean I got to eat this rabbit food to live forever? No, you'll still die then. Uh, I think I'll take the cheeseburger. <laughs> to die is the gain, the preacher said. So, got that going for me. Before we get too bummed out, 
Let's see what Jesus has to say about this in John 14. Because these are words that Jesus gave to his disciples because he knew that death was coming. And he actually knew that it wasn't going to be pleasant. Because some of these guys, some of these guys were going to be led to crucifixion. They were going to be nailed on a cross. Some of these guys, they were going to be impaled while they were alive. And hot pitch tar would be put on their bodies and they would be lit on fire to to light up Nero's dinner parties. Some of these guys, they would be boiled in hot oil. Some of these guys, they would be taken to the Colosseum and wild animals would be loosed on them for the amusement of the crowd. You think the NFL is impressive. Some of these guys, they would be at the Colosseum and there would be wild uh, horses that they would tie to their bodies and the horses would run in different directions and just rip them apart. Now I've got the kids' attention. Only one of these guys who's there that night would die of old age. And he would die alone in solitary confinement in a prison cell. (laughs) Here's what Jesus says to these guys. Do not let your hearts be troubled. That's why I use this at funerals, right? At funerals, we're troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. My father's house has plenty of room, or maybe your translation says mansions. My father's house has plenty of room. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Jesus says to these men who he's trying to comfort that when death comes, I'm preparing a place for you. That what you long for, I'm preparing a place for you. And when I lived in the city, I didn't quite get the significance of place until I moved away. And now when I go back and I go to places that I remember as a kid, I go by my old house and I'm like, oh, that was the place where we played all those sports in the backyard and the Russian olive was first base and the cottonwood was second base. The third base base was that dry patch in the lawn that dad was always cursing. <laughs> Stay off of that. Well, we, we, once we're at third base, you know, the game's on dad. It's important to be on third base. Uh, driving down the street and seeing where Shannon, Shannon and Shauna, the twins, used to live. Driving down the street and, and seeing where Ron used to live and where Todd used to live. And the people that shaped me when I was a little guy and the friends I had and the importance of place. And the churches that I attended and the churches I worked at and the people that came flashing into my mind because of those places and then thanksgiving happens and then we we want to go to that that place that we call home we want to go home for the holidays i mean it's even a song right it's like our world gets it they understand even secular people get it that home is important that there's this place that we long for in our hearts where we are known i mean the whole 
sitcom Cheers was based around this idea where everybody knows your name. I mean, that's where we want to be. We want a place where we walk in and everybody goes, Norm. If that's your name. You want everybody else to say your name, right? You want to walk into that place. You want to have a, a seat that's yours. You, you want to have that place, that, that easy chair, that, you know, you know the chair you got. The chair that's yours, oh, that's dad's chair. Oh, that's mom's chair. You don't, don't get up. That's dad's chair. You want to sit in that place. You want to kick back. You want to have the warm fire. You want to have the food ready. You want the place home. Jesus says, in my father's house, there's place. There's plenty of room. There's room. And that place that you have longed for all your life. In fact, you know, they, they say that if you have a desire for something, then it really is important that you find it. <laughs> that God created you to find it. That it's actually something that he's created or else you wouldn't have those desires for it. Like you get hungry. It'd be weird if there was no food. Right? That's like a cruel joke. I'm hungry. I feel like, what, what should I do with this? I'll breathe more, you know. I'll go underwater and see if it's... No, that's not helping. I mean, it makes sense that you get hungry, so therefore God provided food. If you long for a home, and what's weird is you get older, home becomes a little less homey, I'm finding. Because little brothers get married, and then they go to Dallas for Christmas with their wife. I mean, that's why we go home for the holidays, right? We go home for the holidays to see people, and he's not going to be there. Thanks a lot, Lee. But I've heard Highland Park, Texas is beautiful. It's the holidays. Please. Ruin my Christmas for me, getting married and all. And as we get older, Christmas gets ruined more and more because people who are supposed to be there ain't. And home starts to dissipate. Even that home that we strive for, that we work hard, that we want to make it all homey, doesn't work. It's because you're made for something that is there, but it ain't here. You're made for something, and it's someplace else. You're actually made for a different world. It's not supposed to end this way. You see, the scriptures say that death is the great enemy, the last enemy to be defeated. And Jesus is starting to get some, some hints to the guys, you know, his, his posse, his crew, the guys that hang out with him. He's starting to give them hints that there's a place. When they're about to light you on fire, there's a place. When they're about to tear your body apart. There's a place. When they're getting that oil rolling with the boil, there's a place. There's a place. It's my father's house. There's plenty of room for you. <laughs> He's going there to prepare. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Now, at this point, the dudes are all like, Usually Jesus is telling us we don't know stuff. And now he's telling us we know something. Ooh, huh? What do we know? We know the way. In fact, Thomas, who's, you know, smart enough to talk at this point, says to him, uh, Lord, <laughs> okay, I know Peter, whenever he opens his mouth, you know, he gets Satan get behind me and stuff, so. I'm going to venture. I'm going to be, I'm going to be bold. Lord, we don't know. We don't know where you are going. Good statement, right? He's been a little vague to this point. Stuff about his father's home. We don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Like, I don't even know what to punch in on the GPS. You know, address, you know, when you see the blue donkey, turn right, you know. What? We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus, remember what he said, you know. Last I checked, Jesus is God. He knows stuff. He must know that they know. But they don't know that they know. Have you ever? Some of you need to be there just for this. Jesus answered. <laughs> Maybe he smiled. Maybe he giggled a little. Maybe he kind of chuckled. <laughs> Thomas, 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 Thomas. I am the way and the truth and the life. Thomas, you know me. You're talking to me face to face. Thomas, you know me. You've hung out with me for three years. You know the way. It's me. That's what he meant by that? Yeah. You know the way. You didn't know you knew the way, but I'm the way. So you know the way. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And then this is the part that You know, up to this point, Oprah could preach this and we'd all go home happy. You know, oh, we're all going to go see Jesus and blah, 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 blah. It's awesome. And then Jesus punches people right in the mouth. No one. No one comes to the Father except through me. That place... The place that your heart longs for, that place that you feel built for and you try to get it here, you try to create it here, you try to, you know, we've been trying to decorate our pig at home. Our home is a pig. I've been told by my contractor. Thanks a lot. And uh, she's encouraging me to be mindful of the lipstick I'm putting on the pig. You know, all of our homes are pigs. Probably compared to the father's home, no matter how nice it is. And so we've spent time and money and energy and tears and blood and busy putting some lipstick on our pig. It's starting to shape up. We're excited about the lipstick on the pig. We've got a new front door. 
We've got two front doors now. It's pretty welcoming. We've got a nice bay window. But you know, my guess is we'll get it all buttoned up. We'll get it all done. And then we'll see some show on HGTV or some catalog will show up and be like, you know, your house could be way better. <laughs> yeah. It would really feel like home then. Why didn't we think of that? My heart longs for it. How come I didn't think of that and putting that into my home? And then you do stuff and then you're like, why did we ever do it that way? Or why did the people who owned it before us put it this in? What were they thinking? How did this happen? And it's just, uh, we're always wrestling with home. Jesus says that place that you're longing for, that you're built for, that home that you want, no one gets there except through me. Oh, great. Now Jesus is all exclusive and mean. No, he just knows how maps work. He just knows how destinations function. He, he just knows how you get to this place. And he's the only one. And if he tells you he knows the way, and then he further tells you he's that way, I mean, are you smart to argue at this point? Is that going to go well for you? Well, that's so exclusive. I mean, my goodness, what about all the people that don't know Jesus and who have died? I mean, what about all the people who died before Jesus existed? I mean, what about all the people? What about all the Muslims? What about all the Hindus? What about all the Buddhists? I mean, you're telling me that all those folks, I mean, they're sincere. They sincerely believe those things. You're telling me that all the atheists, you're telling me that all the people who don't put their faith in Jesus, they, I'm not telling you, I'm reading this. I'm telling you what he told us. Jesus is the meanie here. Meek and mild, Lamb of God. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's Jesus' words. Meek, mild, loving Jesus. So yes, I'm telling you. that The Bible is clear that those who know Christ will be with the Father. They will go to this place. They will have a room in His home. They will have, according to some translations, a mansion. However that works, if you follow Christ, you will be with the Father. If you don't, you won't. And partly why you won't be there is because of who's there. Who's there? Who's in the Father's house? Just wild guess. Father. Father's in the house. If you didn't want to be with him in this life, why would you want to spend eternity with him? I mean, that's just stupid on steroids. I mean, if you didn't want to have anything to do with him for this brief mist of a life, what a cruel joke to be stuck with him forever. <laughs> Welcome. Oh, man, you, you're here? I thought you were just church guy, you know. I mean, what a pain. 
I've got to put up with you forever? No, no, we got places for you. You, you can be apart from me. It's what you want. Well, it's not really. What, no, dude, it's how you lived your life. It's what you want. I'm here to make all your dreams come true forever. It's what you wanted. Have fun. I mean, what Jesus is saying is if you don't want any part to do with the way, you don't have to have anything to do with the way. It's really interesting. I've been listening to atheists a lot lately. I don't know why. I think it's kind of fun to argue with them in my brain. And there's a worldview that many atheists have, and it has to do with science and our brains and all this stuff. And a lot of atheists are becoming determinists. And that everything you do has already been determined that you would do it because of how your brain is wired, because how physics works, because of how this world works, that you didn't have a choice. That if you were not going to believe, it was determined you weren't going to believe. If you were going to believe, it was determined that you were going to believe. I don't know who determines, but science somehow determines this. And everything you do, so if you grow up in a home that is mean and vicious and horrible and you go out and murder people, you know, hey, that's just the way it worked for you. You're not responsible for that because that's genetics and that's, that's nurturing at home or lack of nurture and, and the, the, the universe just conspired against you. And if you're an atheist, this is very comforting because everybody's off the hook. I mean, Hitler can't be held responsible because he was determined. Stalin can't be held responsible because it was determined. Those are really bad examples. So let's pick on nice Americans who don't go around murdering people and committing adultery and doing bad stuff. I mean, it's determined. And God, if there is such a thing, wouldn't hold you responsible for things that you were just going to do because of brain chemistry and physics and science. You can't, it's just determined. And so God, who knows everything, obviously he would just go, you're right, you were determined. Welcome to my home. Christians teach something different. The scriptures teach something different. It teaches that you have moral accountability. It teaches that you have choices. It teaches that people can be transformed. It teaches that if you follow Jesus, if you go into this way, you will become more like Jesus. And your desires and your hopes and your dreams will be shaped more and more and more around the person of Jesus and the Father. And then when you are welcomed into heaven, you'll be like, yes. It's like cheers. Where everybody knows your name. And you walk in and some of the words you hear are, welcome, good and faithful servant, enter in. That's what we were built for. That's what we want. That's what we long for. Are you prepared? And if you think you're prepared, are you living like you're prepared? (laughs) I have some friends who are preppers. They're living like they're prepared. I'm like a prepper in my mind. I have like enough food for a few days at my house. 
I'm not prepared. Think I'm prepared, but I'm not prepared. I'm prepared because I know some guys who are prepared. Hey, man, you got some beans and rice that we could eat? My kids ate everything that I bought at Sam's Club last week already. And sadly, this doesn't work that way. Sadly, you can't know somebody other than Jesus. You can't make it in on mom and dad's shirt tail. You can't make it in on grandma's faith. You can't make it in on others who prepared. You can't make it in because a preacher at your funeral got up and said some nice stuff about you and said, you know, into your hands, O merciful Savior, we commend your servant such and such. Receive, we humbly pray. You can't make it in. It's up to you. And aren't you glad? Because that's the American way. (laughs) You want a choice. You want it to be determined by you. You want to be able to prepare. You want it to be in your hands. This is in your hands. You can prepare. Are you ready for the one eventuality that is for sure going to happen? One day, we're going to gather here. For some of you, hopefully we will have a building up there. And we will gather and we will cry and we will sing and we will say nice things about you. And somebody like me will get up and hopefully I won't lie in preaching your sermon. And then we'll take you up on a hill and we'll put you in the ground and we'll throw dirt on you. And then we'll come back and we'll eat potato salad here. It happens. I've seen it happen. I've seen a lot of you there. And we'll tell stories about you. And we will giggle. And we will laugh. And we will cry. And we will weep. And we will mourn. But will we mourn like those who have no hope? Or will we mourn like those who have hope? That this was just goodbye. For now. That this was just, see you later. That this was just, bummer, they got there first. Because we're ready. Because we're prepared. Because we know. John 14, 1 through 7, take it home. Read it. Meditate on it. Digest it. Wrestle with it. Do you know the way? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, we don't have to throw darts in the dark trying to figure out, I don't know, am I good enough? Am I going to go to heaven? I have no clue. Thank you that you're smart enough to realize that we don't know. That you had to reveal it to us. And thank you that it wasn't like sky riding from behind a plane. Thank you that um, it wasn't like stars aligning in the heavens telling us. Thank you that it was far more personal than that. In, in that you sent Jesus in the flesh. 
And he spent time with people like us. And people who were nothing like Jesus, like Jesus. And people that were nothing like him, he liked. And thank you that that gives us hope because none of us are like you. But yet you tell us we can be in your forever place, the forever home with the Father. So Lord, I pray that today, if there are those who don't know Christ, they would turn to you. And that in the quietness of their own heart, they would just repeat after me, Father, I've sinned. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins, to cleanse me of my unrighteousness. And I want to be prepared for when I die. The one thing I know that will happen to me someday. And thank you that through Jesus, I can know the way and the truth and the life. And that through his death on the cross, I can have forgiveness of my sins. And through his rising from the grave, I can have hope in the resurrection that one day I will walk into heaven my true home. Be with the Father. Holy Spirit, we pray that this county would come to know you. That our friends and family who don't know Christ would get ready. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you. Be gracious to you. May you be ready. And may you help others get ready. Amen.